Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Hey, parents, Tim Wright here along with Dr. Michael Gurian for episode number 128 of the Wonder of Parenting podcast, Brain Science Approach to Parenting. And today, we have a very timely topic that we are not getting to in a very timely manner, and I'll explain to you why that is in just a moment. Um, But it's an important topic, and I I know you're going to find it very, very helpful. Michael, it's good to have you with us today. Great to be with you, Tim. Thank you. Now, I mentioned this is episode 128. So on episode 126, two episodes ago, uh, we are pleased to announce that we hit over 100 million downloads. So over the course of two and a half years, over 1 million downloads of the Wonder of Parenting podcast. And that's just amazing. And so we both want to say a big thank you uh, mm-hmm. to all of you for your questions, for listening, for your support, for uh, inviting your friends to listen. So over the course of two and a half years, over a million downloads. And, and uh, apparently that's pretty good. We'll take yeah. it. Yeah, thank you all. Yeah, you and I, we we don't know the podcast world that well, or at least I don't, and so I didn't know, but people have been telling us a million is good, so I'm loving it. Thank you, everybody. Yep, yep. and so we're working on the next million, and uh, well, another two and a half years or so, we'll be to two million, and uh, we hope we've got that much information left <laughs> to yeah, share with that's you. that's right. Yeah, that's um, right. Now, before we dive into the topic, uh, because we've had now over a, a million downloads uh, let's let's thank our sponsors as well, Michael, mm-hmm. and um, of course our, our first sponsor with us for a long time now, been our good friend has been our good friend, Dr. Greg Jantz, up kind of in your area, the Seattle area. You're in Spokane, mm-hmm. and uh, his his organization, his his clinic, a place of hope, the center is such a wonderful resource, not just for their inpatient work, but for the the volumes of materials that Greg puts out in form of books, book a year on any topic you can think about that has to do with mental, emotional, or physical health. And uh, we're so thankful to them. Uh, You can find their website, if you ever need them, on our website, wonderofparenting.com, wonderofparenting.com. So we say a big thanks to Greg, Mm -hmm. who's been a friend for a long time. And uh, then our newest partner, they've been with us now for several months. And uh, I know that you've had a chance to interact with them, and that's The Forge. Yeah, the Ford School, yep, yep, in Benton, Tennessee, a residential treatment center uh, and uh, a, over, overarched or run in the Kalo and Embark group. 
uh, that that do residential treatment. And this is residential treatment for boys. So it's a boys boarding school and residential treatment. It's on 55 acres um, uh, and at a, right next to a river. All, a lot of adventure therapy. Uh, it's kind of it's a state basically state of the art in helping boys. So if anyone has a teen boy, they uh, 14 to 17 year old boys. So if you have a teen boy or know someone who has a teen boy who's having trouble in school, who's having mental or emotional issues, um, look up, uh, go to wonderofparenting.com and you'll see right there the link uh, to the Forge School. So I mentioned we've got a timely topic for today and uh, we're recording this the Saturday after the inauguration of President Biden, which means two and a half weeks ago, uh, our capital uh, was under siege and there was an attempted coup. And we wanted to do a podcast on how to help children process watching that kind of national trauma unfold. And um, then, unfortunately, a big storm went through Spokane, Michael, and you lost all your power and your internet for how long? Yeah. Yeah. I think the internet was like 10 days and the power was six days. Uh, these huge trees come down up here and then they knock out the power lines all over this region. And the, the poor electric and cable people, they're just running around like chickens with their heads cut off, you know, trying to get everyone up. At one point, 500,000 people in Washington wow. were without power. And then it, it got cut quickly down to like 100,000, then 50. And we were in the last 11,000. <laughs> so, so wait a minute, you're you're a New York Times bestselling author and they didn't come <laughs> to your house first? I don't think so. Huh. No, it's very humbling. Well, first of all, you always have harassed me about that. And I love it. Um, no, I mean, you know how it is when nature strikes. I think in Phoenix, you get those the simums, are they called? Or the uh, yeah, wind yeah. Is? tsunamis. Or not tsunamis, Tsunami. but the haboobs. Haboob, there you go. Yeah, yeah. and it's like that wind, um, that wind is, is just so humbling. Um, we, yeah. this, the gusts here were 80 miles an hour gusts. So, you know, that's pretty, pretty high, somewhat high. And, um, watching the trees fall and the transformers blow and it's like fireworks. And then you go, Oh, we're going to be a week without power. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it was humbling. So even though, uh, you know, the, the capital riots will have been now about a month away. Uh, once you folks get a chance to hear this, we still think it's an important topic uh, oh, yeah. I, our assumption is that uh, these moments of national trauma will not go away. And uh, I thought, Michael, that maybe you and I could start with some of our own stories. I'll, I'll start to kind of give you an, uh, uh, an idea of where I'm going with this, and then we'll talk about it. But I was in kindergarten. I was a month away from turning six years old when President Kennedy was assassinated. Mm. And uh, so I'm just a little kid trying to process this. Now, back in our day, uh, all we had was a black and white TV, and, uh, and, and in some ways, Michael, you, you and I, we're, we're kind of the first generation born into TVs. You mm -hmm. know, our parents ad adopted them, but we were the first born into them. And I have uh, a couple different memories of, of that moment, looking back as a five-year-old. One, I remember specifically one day, uh, my mom told me to take a nap right around this time, and, and just laying there in fear, wondering if that guy was going to come and shoot me. Mm. And the second thing I remember was there were no cartoons on Saturday. And, if, you know, for parents today to appreciate that, Saturdays, uh, by law, were mandated to show kids programming huh. cartoons on huh. Saturdays. And, um, and there were no cartoons. All I remember was seeing this casket going down the street with the boot on backwards and the horses drawing it and... and um, 
Uh, and then years years later, uh, as a, an adult, I had a chance to do some research on our generation, baby boomers. And, uh, of course, one of the things that shaped our generation profoundly was the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Mm-hmm. And in my research, I discovered that uh, the boomers who were born about 10 years before we were, we were sort of right in the middle. Their experience, of course, was different because they were teenagers. And for them, it was the the loss of this really young, charismatic president. And, of course, after that, it's sort of been a long line of old white men uh, since that time, John F. Kennedy probably being the youngest president we've had in a long, long time. Um, and for us, many of the people that I would talk to who are my age, your age, they remember not being able to see cartoons on TV. So, you know, we're just little kids trying to process this major trauma. And, of course, there have been other traumas throughout uh, our lifetime. Uh, you know, when President Reagan was shot, uh, when uh, the Twin Towers, of course, mm. were taken down. Um, I remember trying to process the explosion of Space Shuttle Challenger with my daughter, who was young at that time. And, and um, you know, asking the question, should I let her watch the images or not? How do I help her process? And uh, now, of course, kids are seeing this large screen in living color. They're mm. seeing violence. Um, you must have some of those same kind of collective memories that I have. Mm, yeah. Yeah. John F. Kennedy, we were living in India at that time. And so there wasn't TV, but I, you and I are the same age. So I would have been five. And um, uh, I, well, my memory of that is of my parents. So everything was radio for us to try to get stuff from outside India was radio. And um, uh, I remember my parents huddled uh, kind of huddled over, bent over the radio listening, and both of them were, were weeping. Yeah. Uh, and including my dad, you know, and usually you think of the guy not, but they were both weeping. So that was my memory of it. And I, I, I've never forgotten that. Uh, and to your point about how the trauma kind of gets in the brain, I mean, for many reasons of trauma, I remember I always was convinced that there were criminals under my bed with knives, and I had to jump into my bed kind of in that five, six age range, I had to jump up into my bed or the criminals would cut me with the knives. Yeah. And this this must have lasted in my brain for like a year or six months, at least in my sort of memory of it many years ago. Um, and then and then our, in 1968, one of the things that hit me in when the insurrection happened on January 6th of 2021, one of the things that hit me as I was watching it was uh, we lived, we were living in, in Hawaii when, when I was 10 in 1968. And Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King uh, were killed, and you know yes. all of that weeping. And then, and my parents were very active academics activists, so we were marching a lot, peace marching, uh, never rioting, nothing like that. Always peace marches, and and so of course there were many of those. And and I kind of sort of what I learned from it, and one of my takeaways from looking back at my childhood and, and thinking about kids now and the insurrection and all the all the trauma really that's coming over the airwaves is that we we turned our our parents or my parents taught us to turn the trauma into action you know to sort of okay mm. we have to we have to so these terrible things are happening we now have to do something uh and that doing something was we have to listen i mean we always have to listen to what what why are the people why are these people why are tens of thousands of people you know on a street marching we got to listen what is it they're trying to say and then then the people who become violent, uh, you know, we have to we have to try to understand why they're violent uh, 
and meanwhile then you know obviously punish them but but try to understand it and then and then we have to act in our way and obviously not in a violent way but we have to act in our way and that's what i got from all the peace marching from my parents they would always take one of these things and they and their friends in the in the churches and the synagogues they would all go out and march you know for peace and so right so i those are all also some of my vivid memories of childhood and social trauma this episode is brought to you by shopify forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to shopify the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. So I, as you're talking about that, I, I'm trying to think back to whether or not my parents processed at all uh, the uh, assassination of John F. Kennedy of course, I was I was ten uh, or thereabouts when when uh, Martin Luther King was shot, and I, I have vivid memories of it, but still couldn't quite get my brain around it. Mm-hmm. So it does lead then to kind of the question uh, because we know we're going to have more of these. We're still living in it with the the trauma of uh, hundreds of thousands of people dying from COVID. We've got students who are you know they're kind of whiplash. They're in school one day, then they're online the next, back in school. So we've seen that trauma. Of course, we had the uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and and the George Floyd videotape, and then on January six, we we just sat at our TV screens or whatever screen we were looking at, and we we just couldn't turn away. We were just shocked to see people trying to take over our government, American citizens. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's hard to even know what questions to ask, but our our kids are watching that. They're processing that in their own little brains, trying to make sense of it. So I guess my first question is, uh, at what age, when these kinds of things are on, you know, people are watching CNN, Fox, whatever it might be, and they're watching people storming the Capitol, is there an age when you, you should protect your children from those images? Uh, and what age would that be? Uh, well... Part, part of it is the, where is the moral development of the child? You know how every child's brain has stages of moral development and I actually go through these in The Wonder of Boys and kind of lay them out age-wise. Depending on where your child is in those stages, then you're helping them to process it, to talk about it, process it, and then to um, add, you know, a moral, a social morality to it. Uh, that That will depend on their age. So... And that will also affect how you protect them. So, for instance, kids who are like two, three, four, in that age group, they can't really understand anything except good and bad, right? Good guy, bad guy. That's all they can really do. Um, and so that's how uh, we talk to them about it. They, they're they're going to see the images. Then, of course, if we think it's getting to be too much, then we take them out of the room. Um, we, you, every parent should follow your instincts on that. Um, I wouldn't have a three or four year old watching violent stuff for very long. But what was going on, uh, you know, seeing seeing the first time we saw it on TV, those people trying to break the window, uh, a child can see that and is is just going to kind of process it. To see that um, for an hour or two for a three year old, I wouldn't. I would say you know maybe avoid that, but. 
to see it once or twice is probably not going to have a negative effect. Um, now, if we get to the older age groups, five and older, let's say, they can see it a few times. And as long as we're processing it with them uh, and bring, always bringing it back to social morality of some kind, then they're starting by five, six, seven, they're starting to be able to understand a little bit of moral complexity. They're still black and white, but a little bit of moral complexity. Then as kids get to nine, 10, 11, 12, they're entering puberty, their moral complexity obviously is you know much more advanced. So we can have deeper dialogues with them. Uh, so my, my philosophy, even in raising my kids was, uh, with 9-11 was you're, you're going to see these images. So I can't really do much about that. What I can do is help you process and bring morality to it um, and share my stories like we just did of when I was a kid and saw these traumas. And how, what did we do? Well, we, we, we went on peace marches, you know, in other words, kind of share how do you live with purpose through the trauma? How do you compartmentalize the trauma you've just experienced and turn it to the good and the emphasis is always on the good. With the specifically with the insurrection, that that insurrection allows for a, another particular conversation with our children, which is too advanced, obviously for three, four, five year olds, but not too advanced for like 10, 11 year olds. And that's and I'm gonna have three blogs just when this podcast comes out, if people go to GoreanInstitute.com. Or, or I'll have shorter versions on psychologytoday.com. I'm writing a series of blogs on reality cloaking and the effect of these images and the bombardment of these images, um, especially through social media on the brain. And so this thing, reality cloaking, is a very important topic of conversation now in the face of, of constant media and social media bombardment of trauma. Um, it's very important now to talk to kids about reality cloaking and what the brain is doing. And I lay it all out in this three-part blog. So everyone listening to this, you'll have a language through that you can use. Uh, because this is a new, this is a relatively new phenomenon that we're getting bombarded by these images, not just through TV, but obviously social media, YouTube, etc. The bombardment is two, three hours a day. And that is, that is starting to cloak reality because our brains, uh, they, they can't take the trauma. So they create rumination loops in which they create fantasies or reality cloaks. And the people who, who uh, insurrected, you know, the people who attacked, most of them were involved in reality cloaking. Uh, the, the reality cloak had been presented to them that the election, you know, was stolen. They bought into the reality cloak and then they acted on it. And, um, uh, and, and, you know, and, and then they did something that obviously they will be punished for because it, it's, um, it's wrong and illegal and, and very dangerous. Um, they were partly, they partly got that reality cloak from media and social media bombardment over the six months to a year previous. So you raising this question about how do we protect our kids? I think it's more now, it's more now than, okay, I'm going to send you to another room, which we should do if, if we think the TV is or the YouTube and everything's getting traumatic, we should do that. But it's also that now we have to help them process their own process and whether they're reality cloaking, uh, whether they're creating an internal delusion or fantasy based on having to defend their brains against the trauma. Yeah, that is so interesting uh, to to think about how our brains 
become traumatized by all this. And, and again, this year in particular, when you've got a pandemic, loss of jobs, schools interrupted, families discombobulated, uh, the economy's broken, George Floyd, r- racial protests, uh, important protests, by the way, uh, from my perspective. Right, um, right. And then... Um, and then uh, an election that was uh, contested even before it happened by the, pre- the, the former president of the United States of America, that, that lie that was perpetuated. And, and here in Arizona, we've got folks who uh, are elected leaders. All of our Republican elected leaders were bought into that lie, still do, by the way, even though we have a new president. Um, and then, of course, those people want to believe them. It, it helps make sense. Surely Donald Trump could not have lost this election. So the only possible explanation for it was stolen, which is what you would say is a reality cloaking. And and yep. then and yep. then this national trauma that we saw with um, uh, the Capitol being stormed. That This has been a lot for the brain to handle. And part of what you're saying is at some point our brains become so overwhelmed that we have to catch on to something, to hold something that explains it all. And oftentimes that can cloak what's really happening. Yeah, Uh, absolutely. That's what's going on. And then it's the brain is – oh, sorry, you were going to say something else. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, for example, you look at all of this and and you might – this is oversimplifying your concept. But you might say all Republicans are insurrectionists. That explains what's going on, which which isn't true. A lot of no. Republicans are not insurrectionists. Right. That would be a reality cloak too. Yeah. It's uh, it's it, the you know it's like the when we look at the people who let's take okay let's take the people who pro who who marched on Washington on January sixth and I, I I don't know if it's thirty or forty thousand who were nonviolent who were peaceful but they're Trump supporters. Right. Um, they and the 73 million people or maybe it's close to 74 million people who voted for Trump. OK, most of those people are not, you know, going to attack the Capitol. Right. They they have they voted for Trump for their reasons. And um, and many of those are very good reasons. Right. And it would be a re, it would be reality cloaking to say that all 74 million people are somehow, you know, bad people or racist or, you know, these things that get thrown around when I see that. In the media, I think, oh my gosh, you know, the media's reality cloaking. Seventy-four million people are not racist because they voted for someone who supported their take on the issues. And the 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 let's say thirty thousand, I don't know what it was, thirty thousand people who marched who were not violent, I would not see them as necessarily reality cloaking, you know, and I would not see them as necessarily racist. These are people we have to listen to. And um, but the people who who attacked and some of these people were starting to see their websites. Okay, that's that's just reality cloaking. You know, they have created an internal fantasy, and they are now operating out of this internal fantasy. And they were so traumatized, I believe, so traumatized by the loss of their leader, by their 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 sense of what's going on in the country that they don't like, um, and but specifically, their brains were overwhelmed by media and social media, and the bombardment from Parler and from all these places, and even Twitter and so on, the bombardment on their brains, they their brains had to defend. And the way they defended is creating a rumination loop. And the rumination loop is, is defensive. Uh, it allows the brain to survive and thrive. Um, and that, that rumination loop for them was, election was stolen. You know, we have to take our country back through violence. 
I would say this is similar for Black Lives Matter. Most of the people in Black Lives Matter protests were peaceful protesters who, who we have to listen to them, and um, and they're they're living in reality and they're protesting because in reality itself we have these issues. We have systemic inequity. We have these issues, but the ones who you know rioted and looted and who and and who argued that all police are bad, all white people are bad, all of that. That's just a reality cloak. Right. It's just operating in uh, uh, a stereotype of white people or white males or police. It just creates a stereotype. The brain does this through a rumination loop, creates the stereotype. It has to defend itself against constant bombardment. And so it uses the stereotype in the rumination loop. And then people start living online on the websites that only fit that rumination loop. Right. And that reality cloak. And that just feeds it. And the brain thinks it's defending itself. It thinks it's protecting itself from trauma. And of course, what it does is it goes out and creates more trauma uh, by looting and, and killing cops, et cetera. So I think on, you know, I'm using examples from both sides as I do in these blogs that will come out in February. Um, I'm using examples from both sides of the aisle because reality cloaking can hit any human being. The politics mm -hmm. don't, uh, the politics are, are, are more a symptom, let's say, but they're not what the brain is, you know, any brain can do it, no matter your politics. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality. For your most precious gift, Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. So uh, part of what I hear you saying, and of course this was very different for the two of us as we were growing up because we didn't have as much access to different um, screens, different venues for information uh, that we have today. Uh, part of what I hear you saying, it's really important for parents to take the initiative to process this trauma with their children and when appropriate to uh, allow for ambiguity and nuance, not that we don't share our values, but to recognize that uh, a black and white answer sometimes to trauma isn't always helpful, but it's a good opportunity for parents to share their own viewpoint, their own morals, their own social uh, uh, the, the things that they care about socially in culture. And also then to, as much as possible, keep our kids, especially I'm going to guess it's our teenagers, but maybe our younger kids too, from all of those different social media uh, sites that can make the trauma even worse to the point where they just become overwhelmed and overstimulated. Yeah, I think your summary is absolutely accurate. I think I think we... We have to now understand that, okay, to go to the first part where you said when we were kids, right, when we were kids, we did not have this um, this new trauma that's an overlay of trauma, which is media, social media bombardment. That, it, right. we have to remember, that is its own trauma, right? That is affecting every brain. And so uh, we parents, um, you and I at the grandparent age, but parents uh, and grandparents, we need to take these kids uh, you know, under our wings when there's trauma coming at them through media, social media, we have to take them under our wings. And as you've said, share, share, share your values, share our values, share our approaches. Um, and 
and take them away specifically from any social media where they're getting bombarded and it's it's moving them into radicalization or reality cloaking you know as soon as we see them starting to reality cloak um uh like all cops are bad remember we'll know they're reality cloaking because they're starting to talk in huge stereotypes like yeah. all cops are evil all white people are evil all trump supporters are evil all biden supporters are evil all biden supporters are socialists you know whenever we hear these these mass stereotypes then uh we know these kids or we ourselves are reality cloaking and and one of the things we have to do is we have to cut them off you know from social media and media for a month or two get them cut off so that they can come back to reality and um and understand what their brains are doing and for teenagers while they're still in our home we still have that power you know once they're 18 and leave we don't have the power to protect them from this uh but until they they leave, you know, we have the power to control uh, what's going on with their digital resources and where they're traveling. And they, I don't think they should have privacy on things like that. You and I have talked about this before on our podcast. Any any uh, utensil they have in our home, any appliance, including a smartphone, you know, uh, they can have some privacy. But if we suspect something's going on, we need to get into their browser history. And if we see them going to bad places, whether it's porn or it's it's reality cloaking, dangerous radicalization, uh, we need to stop it um, because this is going to be a phenomenon now for decades to come. The trauma itself, and then and then the the social media bombardment trauma, and then the reality cloaking the brain has to do to defend. This is something we have to deal with now as parents that you and I did not have to deal with when we were kids, our parents did not. And even when you and I were raising our children, right? Um, they were barely into this, into so the way that now reality cloaking is happening. They didn't get as much bombardment of social media. Uh, final question. I, I, you mentioned when your, your parents were listening to the radio about uh, Kennedy's assassination that they were weeping. Mm -hmm. And uh, certainly, you know, it's really important for parents to be honest about their own emotions with their kids. Um, are there are there boundaries that parents want to have? For example, I'm guessing that there are a lot of parents, a lot of us watching that horrific moment on January 6th, and we were just angry. We were shocked. Um, you know, there are probably some people yelling at their TVs, you know, all the different things we do to deal with our, our own shock in the moment. Um, how do parents... Uh, what are some good things for parents to know about showing their own emotions uh, in the heat of the moment and then being able to process? Because sometimes kids can be afraid of our emotions. To see dad cry, for example, for the first time can maybe be even more frightening than seeing people try to take the capital. So what are some things we need to know about our emotions in that moment when we're watching that with our children? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm a real believer in being honest with your kids about everything you're experiencing um, and, you know, in, in the face of these sort of national tragedies, to just be very honest, uh, you know, up to the point of you, the parent, becoming violent. Obviously, we don't want that. But if you're feeling angry, you're feeling angry. And if you're feeling sad, you're feeling sad. And then just communicate with the kids. Just know that, that for the kids, as you've just said, Tim, for the kids, that could be another mini trauma. So, you know, after your emotions have quieted an hour later or, or whatever it is, then communicate with the kids, okay? Do you know why I was so angry? And then that becomes your emotions as a parent become the entree 
into talking to your kids about the trauma they've just seen on TV and the trauma they've the mini trauma they felt by you having this reaction, right? That they uh, uh, were not maybe ready for. Um, and but that's the entree. So my emotions as a parent are the doorway to start communicating with my kids about what they're experiencing in in the face of the trauma and and then to keep using it a week later you know for trying to get our kids to talk about something because they're now under covid stress like you've said they're ping-ponging back and forth to school they're under trauma we want to help them process that so a way to do it is i bet you're you know are you are you feeling angry the way i was when i saw that insurrection you know use it use it use your own emotions be honest and use it um and then the only place where i would ask a parent to be really careful is if you the parent so i'll switch to me if i the parent am processing with my child and using it as an entree but my entree is a vast stereotype reality cloak then i would beg the parent to not use that you know to not say well i'm so angry because every biden supporter is a socialist or every cop is bad or or every trump supporter is a racist or you know if i'm giving passing to my child a reality cloak that that in itself is dangerous for the child. So I would ask the parent not to do that. But but beyond that, I think be real honest. Very good. Excellent. Well, Michael, thank you. Uh, this is such an important topic. And, and uh, you know, we both have enough life experience to know that this is not the last national trauma that we'll experience as a country. There will be more. Oh, yeah. And, um, uh, and, and just to be able to help our children process that so that when they become adults, they can process it with their kids. Um, that's part of what uh, builds resiliency in, in our kids is being able to process and be honest with emotions. So thank you so very, very much for your input. Oh, thank you. And, and we're, we're grateful to all of you for listening. And again, thanks again for uh, getting us over the million mark. And uh, we thank mm. you that you're helping us now soar toward two million. And these are these are good numbers. These are the kind of rising numbers we want, right? A lot of podcast downloads. So thank honored. you very much for that. Yeah, we're on. Everything you need to know uh, about the podcast or about some of our resources, wonderofparenting.com, wonderofparenting.com, and our Facebook page. It's Wonder of Parenting. Uh, on Facebook, and it is a closed group, So you, but you can join. We'll let you in. And some great conversation going on there. Parents asking questions all the time that we don't necessarily have a chance to get to, and you got great parenting advice from other parents in that Wonder of Parenting community. So that's the Wonder of Parenting group, and that is on Facebook. We'll be back with you again. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks again, Michael. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.